this week I had the privilege of participating in a pastor's conference. It's, it's one, it happens once every, theoretically every five years, um, where all the pastors from the North American division, in other words, from Canada, uh, U.S., and Bermuda, um, we come together and... If you've ever been to a general conference session, that's kind of what it feels like, but it didn't feel like one, because it was very, it was vastly different than the ones I've been to before. So it was a lot of fun. We got to hang out. I got to see some friends I had not seen in years, decades, and some even, you know, more than 20 years. But it was great to, to be able to con- get reconnected again, and I want to share with you um, Something that has they highlighted on, I'm not going to say what that is, but hopefully throughout this message that will be uh, evident. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 8, verses 2 through 12. This is a, a, a pretty familiar story if you have read the Bible before, and if you have not, great, we're going to read together. Uh, and before we do, I'd like to invite you to pray with me as we are going to read from God's Word. Make sure that my phone is on silent. All right. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we pray that you continue to be with us this morning. And as we open your Word and we dive into it, And as we discuss it, Lord, we pray for the leading of your Spirit. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And Tyler, thank you for your prayer. Um, I I, I think you had the whole congregation with you when they say, well, I hope the pastor speaks to something that I need. So thank you, and uh, I have my work cut out for me. But thank you. Uh, so John chapter 8, at the temple. Let's see if this, this clicker works. No, next slide, please. All right, John chapter 8, verses 2 through 12. I'm beginning with verse 2 because, no, the one, next slide, uh, previous, previous. Just leave it at the, at the text, please. Thank you. When you, when you look at your Bible... You will have, if your, high, if your Bible has a subtitle, it will say, An adulteress faces the light of the world. But notice how the verse that comes right after that subtitle was verse 53, not verse 1. Because that verse 53 is part of the context of what we're about to happen now. Now, and everyone went to his own house. That means that before, the day before, Everybody leaves, they go into their own house, and night falls. As night falls, Jesus goes into the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, verse 2, he came again to the temple. Well, that tells us that he was at the temple the day before. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in 
in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again he stooped down and rode on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, meaning the youngest. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When you look at this text and you read this text, it's easy for us to miss the details. Because the day before, you can't disconnect what happened the day before. There was a theological debate that the Pharisees had lost. And now they're coming, man, we got to get this guy. We need to put this Jesus in his place. And so, now this is just my imagination coming into place, but I would imagine that someone in that Pharisaic group knew an adulteress. And that they set up a, a, a trap for her to be caught. Now, the words say that they, were, they found her in the very act. I don't need to explain what that is. But what they forgot to mention in, in their argument is that the law stated that it wasn't just the woman that was supposed to be stoned, but the man as well. And so here we, they, 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 they kind of presented a, a conundrum to Jesus, but he, Jesus knew the law. He knew what it was all about. And so he just stayed quiet. There are times when doing nothing is best. And there are times when saying nothing is even better. And Jesus illustrates this here in this very act. But I want to dwell on the fact that he said to her, where are those that condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. I said, I too condemn you no longer. I, I also do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Very often I've grown up in a church 
setting, I grew up in the church setting, and, and very often when we look at this very text, we focus on the go and sin no more. But what does that take? What does it mean? Because the very first words that precede, the very words that precede this statement of go and sin no more is, I do not condemn you, and these, this is Jesus. In other texts of the Bible, Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But yet, he, this is one of the few times in the entire Bible where Jesus says, go and sin no more. And very often, people have ran with this statement saying, we need to be perfect. Sinless. That is our ultimate goal, by the way. I don't think anybody in this room wants to live a sinful life. Is that true? Okay, can, are we in agreement with that? Or is this, someone say, nope, pastor, I want to party every day. I think we can agree that our goal, our ultimate goal, is to be in a position where we are living our best lives before Jesus, before the Father, and led by the Holy Spirit. Can we agree to that? All right. But how many times have we fallen short? And how many times do we just give up? And we say, ah, that's too hard. It's too difficult. But Jesus says, go and sin no more. I began to do some research, and, and I read that the way this is written, and in, in the way in the Greek, it's, it sounds like a command, and it, and it should be. But one author states it that this was a word of encouragement. As he said to her, go and sin no more, she felt encouraged to go and live. So what does it mean to tell somebody, go and sin no more, in a way that is not demeaning or shameful? And I began to think about what this all means, is that we have not really thought about what that statement actually represents for us. Go and sin no more requires a self-evaluation of our own personal habits, of our own lives, of the things that we do and we say and the people that we relate with. Careful now. It's going to get hard real quick. And so as I, as I began to think about this, I've been reading a book entitled Necessary Endings. How appropriate. So I want to highlight with you a couple of things. And the first one, for, next slide, please. The old one? There it is. All right. Like it or not, endings are necessary, whether at work, in business, or in our personal lives. At some point, this woman caught in, a, caught in adultery when Jesus gave her the encouragement and the statement of saying, go and sin no more, she had to make some changes. Endings is part of life. Last week we got the news. One of my closest friend's sister passed away suddenly of a heart attack. 
life ends. And just as life begins and ends, there are segments within our life that is necessary to end. In this process that this woman is caught on, she need, she, when Jesus said, go and sin no more, she, Jesus is telling her, you have to think about the things in your life that you need to end. Whatever that may be. Let me look at number two. Have a clear idea of your goals and don't be afraid of endings. You see, when Jesus comes into our lives and he says, go and sin no more, he's saying, you have a better goal now. You have an ideal to reach. Therefore, it will require you to end some things that are hard and don't be afraid of what? Of cutting some of these things off. To have courage. Rick New preached a sermon last week on Joshua chapter 1, if I'm not mistaken, and part of that chapter is, be of good courage, fear not, I am with you, right? Be courageous. You do not have to fear. However, we are afraid of endings because it hurts. Do you ever prune a tree? Usually sap will come out when you take that, branch off and that's what happens you are you're cutting intentionally to make sure that the result you get will be better go number three indicators will show whether something in your life should end or if you should press on there was a clear indicator that something in her life needed to end she was caught the interesting part is we usually don't know when we've gone too far until something bad happens. That's an indicator. If, if you should ever, th- hey, I don't know. I'm waiting for God to speak to me and tell me that I should stop doing this. I think he already has. Or he might already have done that. Or relationships around you will point you one. Or your spouse will tell you, hey, I, I don't like this. I don't like how you, have, you spoke to, to me or, or to your son or to your daughter. Those are indicators. Those are things that you know that those are warning flags that we should pay attention to. That we, sh- we should try to identify where are things that we need to trim. Number four, to create Sufficient urgency for change. Do you think that woman did not have an urgency to change after she was caught? You've got to get real about present circumstances. In other words, you come to the point of that realization where all these indicators have come before you, and now, okay, I need to change. I'll do it tomorrow. It's kind of like the, the Monday diet. I'll start on Monday. Or I'll, I'll, I'll do it later. I'm a great procrastinator. Trust me. I'm working on it. But when you have a goal, you have to tell yourself there's an urgency that needs to take place for you to get to that goal. When I was at officer training school, I remember the first day I arrived 
and I had my bags in my hand, and I could hear the, the MTIs, the, the military training instructors, yelling at the top of their lungs, pick up your luggage, walk with a sense of urgency. And I'm like, you're laughing because you remember, right? So they're, la- they're, they're yelling at you and, and trying to get you and motivated to, to walk. Now, I'm six foot four. My stride is bigger than most. So I picked up my bag and I'm walking normally, but I'm still walking faster than most of the people with me. The, the MTI, who's, who, who's, I'm, I'm almost to, to where I needed to go, he looks at me and he says, you yellow shirt, go back and come and, and walk with a sense of urgency. Yes, sir. And I made my way back, and as soon as I made my way back to the starting point, the, the other two MTIs that were there were like, yellow shirt, you just got here. Already you're being told what to do. From that day forward, everywhere we walked, we walked with a sense of urgency. Every time I put on my military uniform, I'm on base. I walk at that pace. It became ingrained in me. It became part of who I am in that role. Having a sense of urgency to change requires that mentality of I am going to do this I'm going to get there and I need to get this done and you have to address your current real circumstance you may have to look yourself in the mirror and say yes I'm an adulteress as that woman did I may need to look at myself in the mirror and say I am a prolific liar I am a procrastinator I am an abuser I am, you filled in the blank. And I guarantee you, we can all say this together. I am a sinner. But having a sense of urgency to change requires you that you have that real encounter with yourself. Number five, sometimes you have to shoulder the responsibility for ending the relationship yourself. You know, we talk about her going sinning no more, but we never talk about her having to go to her lover, or plural, lovers, and say, we're done. Most people have this woman as the bad person, right? As the one who, who reaped the home wrecker. But what about the other individual? What about the other person who, because it takes two to tango, We need to face the responsibility of our own actions. We need to shoulder that responsibility. And if we need to go and say, we're done here, man, that's not going to feel good at all. And that's why people have a hard time. When I say people, I'm talking about all of us, myself included. We have a hard time ending relationships. And this is not, I'm not talking about personal, I'm not talking about marriage, though If that may be your case, let's talk about that afterwards. But this deals with on a professional level as well, on your workplace, in your environment. We need to have that responsibility. We we have our goal, we have our change, and, and God calls us to, hey, go sin no more. What is that requiring me to do to foster that relationship? And last one, 
We all dread breakup conversations. Immediately we think about relationships, right? Interpersonal relationships, but that, not just intimacy. But you need to, you need to prepare yourself for that as well. Can you imagine this woman going up to her lover and saying, hey, we're done. No more. In order for me to get better, I need to leave this. Whatever it is that we have, out. So this morning, as we go to roundtables, I'm going to give you guys a question, and I want you to talk about it. And the first question is, and I'm going to call you together, and then we're going to talk about it, and we're, I'm going to ask for input. This is, this is your involvement. This is now your, the tables are flipped to you. The question I want you is, what endings did the woman caught in adultery have to make in order for her to sin no more? Now it's your time to talk about this. Turn your, cha- your chairs in. And you guys got about a five to ten minutes-ish. I'll call you back in and we'll discuss. What endings did the woman caught in adultery have to make in order for her to sin no more? Go. One of the the challenging things about roundtables is that I know I'm cutting into conversations when I begin to talk, and things are just starting to get good, but the idea is for us to start scratching the surface and, and, and getting to a process where we think about in a more intimate setting. So I want to I hear some of your thoughts. Uh, we have Maya over here with, on this side with a mic, and we have Andrew over here. Anybody would like to share with us? Hey, what did you guys come up with, or what, what did you think about, or what? Or something I I didn't even have to say it, or your table came up with. You know, it's on. Yeah. So many of us I know in my own life where I'm right there. I know it. I know what to do, and there's this one more step I need to take. Oh. But you know, there's the twilight zone I call it. You know, <laughs> back to square one again. You know, and it usually takes what you said, some kind of crisis, which I usually wasn't the case. I wish I could just dust myself off and say, okay, dummy, let's move forward from this point. But it's always something that comes to a crisis. And then it's either the Lord saying, now we're never, son. You know, and I just pray that I wouldn't be so thick headed. Okay. Okay. Maya. Maya. The, the story of of Mary, if you ask what she had to give up, it was everything. Mm. Everything. Because she made her living as a prostitute. So for her to move away from that, she would have to give up that lifestyle, which was how she made her living, how she survived in that world back then. So she gave up everything to make this change. And, and the, the, the other thing ab, ab, about this is that Christ had interactions with her in the past. 
cast seven devils out of her. Correct? At least so. And if that's the case, I've always wondered, is it seven different demons or was it seven demons at one time? doesn't really matter. What matters is that she would stumble and fall, come to Christ, Christ would heal her. Stumble and fall, come to Christ, Christ would heal her. It's a message of grace. It's a message of salvation that even though we stumble and fall, He is there to pick us up and to save us through His grace. It's an amazing story, and I think it is a reflection. Mary is a reflection of all mankind. All the things that we do, all the things that we fail at miserably every day, we know that He is there to give us grace and forgiveness. So what did Mary have to give up? Everything. Are we willing to give up everything? Thank you. Uh, we have one here. Anybody else? Oh, go ahead, Steve. So I was, think, <clears throat> I was thinking about, you know, what is she at the end? Because I knew there was something deeper here. Not just her relationships. Yeah. But, her, but it was her relationship. Her relationship with sin. Mm. And how she saw it and accepted it for, not necessarily for what it was, but what was working at the time. Okay. And to remove the relationship with sin... But actually, at the moment when, when Christ was drawing in the sand, he said, sin no more. Go, go and sin no more. It actually created a, a space in her life to create that relationship with Christ. So to end the relationship that she had with sin. Okay. Thank you. Right here, Maya. Uh, good afternoon. Um, can I sit? You, okay. please. Okay. One of the decisions that she would have to make in order to give up something is that she would have to come to the realization that the pathway that she has embarked on, it's a sinful one, and that if she desire of experiencing eternal life, Mm. and to walk with God, then she could no longer enjoy, um, participate or enjoy that sort of lifestyle. And so she would have to explain to her partner that she no longer desire mm. to, to go down that pathway and that she is convincing her decision to walk with God so she will not go that way again. Okay. All right. Thank you. We have right here and then here. Remind me your name. Your, tell me your name. Everton. Thank you. Thank you for that input. I'm Al. Al. Yeah. All right, Al. Hey. So one of, the, one of the things that we were discussing here were the, um, what she had at end was that selfishness that she had, you know, mm. that, um, that point of view of it feels good to me. So I'm okay. gonna keep doing it, right? Uh, as opposed to maybe, you know, what sacrifices can I give in my life to maybe fulfill the law that was created for us to live a better life? But when I look at endings, I, I can't help but look at beginnings and what new habits she would have had to have created and began 
like possibly not putting herself in a position where the enemy can tempt her to now fall into those same. So let me chime in real quick. You're talking about starting new habits, right? When God said, when Jesus said to her, go and sin no more, how long, we know through research that for you to create a new habit, you have to do it how many times? At least seven. At least seven times. So I'm not, this is not a criticism, but to, to go along what you're saying is that she, there was an intentional effort on her behalf to start new things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, so that was pretty much it, just the thought of ending that selfish, selfishness of doing what feels good for me, but also creating the new habit of, again, avoiding the new thought process of, okay, how do I really no longer sin? How, how do I really walk away from this? That means I probably shouldn't put myself in a position that I'm not strong enough to walk away from at the moment. Yeah, okay. And last one here. Okay. Uh, you know, I think, you know, um, uh, I think if we look deeper, you know, there, there was a sequence of events for, for the woman to get to where she is, you know. Mm. She probably was a victim of society to get where she is because it's not like a happy life she was living, you know. Uh, so, so she was at that point and then society is accusing her and the punishment is clear, you know, you know you're gonna get killed now. Yeah. And so she was facing death now and here comes Jesus and say, I give you life. So I, I don't think she had to give up so much, you know, basically, because it was a life of misery she was living. So, and here, you know, just comes out of death, somebody offer her life. Yeah. You know, imagine if you're in the street and uh, the mob is after you and they're trying to kill you. And here that guy comes and, uh, you know, protect you and say, you know what? They're all gone. Now you're free. So the, the choice was really... Maybe we imagine, we think it was difficult, but if I was there and all these people after me, I'd say, well, you know what? I'm already free, you know, so here I go, you know. Now I have a new life, you know. I don't, I want to cut loose with the past, you know. Okay. Because the past was leading me to death and somebody rescued my life. He gave me a new life. So there's a sheer contrast from the calling Jesus gives us to the way we were to how we we are Exactly. You you, you know, there was all these people after her have their stones and they're ready to just kill her. And here comes somebody intervene and save your life, give you a new life, basically, you know. So I would really make the change and really make a change. Well, I don't I don't I don't believe I don't believe that making that change was was difficult in the Mm -hmm. sense of a mental aspect of it. Yeah. But the daily grind of mm-hmm. altering from what she did before yeah. to becoming that new creature, there is a process in that. Yeah. You know, you know I, I tend to agree, but there are uh, two varieties of things, you know, like for example, smoking habits. Uh, there are two kinds of people. They just like uh, get like, I, I smoke a pack, I smoke half, I smoke four, I smoke two. And then people say, you know what, I'm just done with it. I'm not touching anymore, mm. you know, so I just cut loose with the smoking, you know, so drinking, you know, oh, I drink like a bottle, now I drink half, now I drink a quarter, you know, and I'm progressing, I'm doing well. And there's another kind of people who say, no, I don't want to see bottles anymore. I don't want to drink. I'm done with drinking. Sure. Uh, so, but 
I, I think in her case, it seems from the text that she made the decision at the moment, once her life was saved, I'm not sure. just going to ruin it and go back to what I was doing, you know? No, I, and, and I don't think it was ever implied that she went back. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I believe it's just the I, process just is a change. Not to add, basically her reputation in her town was uh, bad, and Jesus helped her to get up. Yes. Like all of us sinners, we, we lost uh, heaven, but Jesus is giving us hope on the Christ. He died for us that we have eternal life again back. Let me take that segue. Can we jump two slides forward, please? How does the encouraging words of go and sin no more help us in, with our endings? So if you were in that, if, if you hear Jesus' words to you today saying, go and sin no more, how does that help you with the process of ending? And our next question, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on a more personal level. But on this one, how does the encouraging words of go and sin no more help us with our endings? All right, let me bring you guys back down. Maya, Andrew, all right. Do we have a couple of individuals who are willing to sh share on this side of the room about this very question? Oh, you put it back. Or, or over here. How does the encouraging words of Jesus go and send more help us with our own endings. Sharon? Our table decided that go and sin no more is not encouraging at huh. all. <laughs> really? We, we like the fact that the person who said those words brings the encouragement because he's the one that provides the strength to do that and thus make our endings true and fulfilled. Okay. So it's in the person who said it. All right. Okay. Um, I think when I think of go and sin no more, I think that is Jesus. If it's coming from Jesus, who is the light of the world, if he tells you go and sin no more, there will be obstacles. It's just going to be hard to do that, but I think it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. So just giving it all to him and knowing that it's coming from the light of the world, it's not just for her to not go and sin no more. It's also a job for her now because she has to go and deliver this message to the people who she, who she associated with. It's actually a job for her to go and sin no more. It's an actual real-life get up and do the work. So Jesus didn't, need, didn't, didn't only encourage her. Um, he also gave her a purpose. So when, when you deal with the encouragement, go and sin no more, we often forget, and I've heard this many times. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Maya. 
I've heard this many times from church members. Well, this person, the Bible tells that they can't do this anymore. They go and sin no more. It's one thing coming from a human being who is sinful. It's another thing coming from Jesus. When Jesus tells us, go and sin no more, it, it, it involves a new sense of purpose. It involves a new sense of identity because it's Jesus who is giving us that calling. He's the one who's saying, you're going to fall, I got you. You're, if you fall, I'm here. I'm not casting the stone. So as the band is about to close with our song, I want you to go back one slide, please. This is now for you to take home with you. What ending in your life needs to happen in order for you to improve your relationship with God, your family, and your friends. See, that is right now a two-personal question for you to share in your tables. But you all have endings that you need to, to start. We all have endings that we need to end. Or I should say, we need things that we need to end. We call that pruning. So what things in your own personal life do you need to end in order for you to have a better relationship with God, your family, or your friends?